0: Welcome to the Legendarium. Today, Ryan and Craig sit with Kip Rasmussen, an author and Tolkien illustrator, to discuss the first several chapters of the Silmarillion. Now, we think you're going to enjoy this discussion even if you're not reading along, partly because it might make you want to. Welcome back. Hey, Ryan, welcome back.
1: Thanks. I'm, I'm happy to be back in the studio it's much more foamy than it was last time That's, I was here.
0: This studio is much improved. Um, we Did you realize, by the way, it's been over a year and a half since we started this podcast. It's been about a year since we wrapped up our Lord of the Rings series.
1: Yes, the therapy bills that I'm paying for have reminded <laughs> me that it's been about a year. <laughs>
0: and uh, our digs are, are much different than they were before. We were in your attic. Now we're in my basement. Basically, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this uh, we've, we've spent a lot of time tricking this out. So, hopefully, uh, the quality of the podcast is such that uh, you guys enjoy listening to it. Uh, I know Ryan and I have really enjoyed making it. Uh, if we didn't, we wouldn't have kept at it for,
1: I think, 110 episodes or something wow. like that now. We're getting up there. Some yeah. of them are, I mean, they're, they're smaller reviews and everything, but... Right. It'll. It should start. You know, continuously sounding better. The content's not going to get any better. It's still That's us, but it's going to sound better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, if anybody has not listened to our Lord of the Rings series. I I half heartedly encourage you to go do so, and with um,
1: my half of the half of the heart that I have here, <laughs> I will recommend the other half that you. Know. Uh, uh, no, it was,
0: our, it was our first thing we ever did uh, as podcasters, and so it's a little rough around the edges, uh, but we just had a blast with it. And you know, some episodes are better than others, and sometimes we make stupid points, and occasionally we make really good ones.
1: Worst case, you're gonna walk through, you're gonna go through the story of the Lord of the Rings and find. Stuff Stuff you'd never thought of. Yeah, Yeah. that's worst case scenario.
0: Anyway, so yeah, go check it out at our website, thelegendariumpodcast.com, or subscribe on iTunes, of course. Just search The Legendarium, and we're not hard to find, as long as you know our name. Uh, Anyway, but let's get into what we're doing today. Uh, We're starting a new Tolkien series. We are talking about the Silmarillion uh, now, this series, uh, we'll do it a little bit differently. It's not going to be updated as regularly as the Lord of the Rings one, which we were doing week after week after week. Um, I want to end up with about five or six casts for this, but you know it could take a couple months to, to uh, deal all those out. Uh, but today, so we're starting our Silmarillion uh, podcast series, and we are starting it with uh, one of my most uh, exciting guests we've ever had. I'm really excited about this. Kip Rasmussen uh, is in the studio with us. Say hi, Kip. Hello. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, you bet. Kip, um, we met Kip a year ago at FantasyCon. He was a fellow, um, not a presenter. What were we doing at oh. FantasyCon? Uh, we were moderators. Moderating panelists, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I met Kip, and we uh, and were all going around introducing each other in the circle, and he says, uh, I'm, I'm an illustrator illustrate tolkien and i you know my my elf ears go <laughs> uh, hello and so anyway i chatted with him and i went visiting kip's booth bought a couple of uh his illustrations they've been oh, up on my are. wall for oh, a year goodness. and uh, so anyway i've been really looking forward to getting him into the studio uh kip you are an artist and an author right yeah um and so i've, I've been perusing your site a little bit but uh-huh. tell us
2: a little bit about uh yeah your art and your writing Uh, So I uh, have a day job, and uh, all my life I've uh, been uh, drawing, was in art classes throughout my uh, school years, and then uh, found myself in my basement doing art, uh, unmarried and, uh, and very, very isolated. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I can't take it. So I kind of followed in my mother's footsteps and became a, uh, family psychologist. And that, so that's what I have been doing. And then, uh, after I finished graduate school, I just decided, uh, you know, there's other things out there. And, um, I had this love of, uh, Tolkien that I discovered when I was, uh, at age eight and uh, picked up The Hobbit. I couldn't believe it, just could not understand how this had been written. And then to my delight, finding out there's a lot more (laughs) to Tolkien. And so, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I I had, uh, you know, a brother who kind of liked it, but most of my friends liked it a little, but it was just always this thing in the back of my mind. And so, as i was uh, had had been into writing so much for uh the professional world in my dissertation my thesis and things like that i was very into a writing mode and just started to write some uh fantasy stuff on my own science fiction and fantasy um and then uh, realized that uh, really it was more enjoyable to go back to my art roots and uh because of a uh a life event, the death of my father. I was, uh, going through a lot of things. I picked up the Silmarillion again for the third time in my forties and it grabbed me and and never let, has let me go. And I spent all my time illustrating it because I just want, uh, to promote it. Uh, it, it's, that's, um, it, it really has so much to offer that I think is important. It is the, uh, the sort of convergence of my professional world and my, uh, and my hobby world, you know, because mm. I, I think that there's a lot to learn about Tolkien that can help us in our lives. So, wait, you're
0: an artist who's not in it for the money? Uh, no. You're a rare breed indeed. <laughs> uh, you,
2: you know, I, I sell a lot, which is very gratifying. But more than anything else, I love talking about it. Yes. <laughs> this is something, you know, that it was one of those things that I just loved. And, and uh, I could talk about it with some people, but uh, most people, you know, aren't into it like I am. So that's right. kind of my story.
1: All right. We'll definitely post some links uh, so that you can see the artwork uh, that he's done. For those of us who love um, fantasy, and especially the imagery that fantasy evokes, it's it is some beautiful and some fantastic work. And I definitely, I think anyone who sees it is going to enjoy it. And if it gets you into reading the story, all the better.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um, I really like it. What I think of when I've looked at uh, the two that I've got um, here in my office, I've got uh, Thingol and Melian meeting. And then this is Turin mm-hmm. facing down Glaurung, right? Yeah, yeah. The dragon. Mm, correct. And uh, what I get is <sighs> somewhere in between, if you're a fan of The Lord of the Rings films and you've seen all the, uh, the featurettes, you know who Alan Lee and John Howe are. And I would put you somewhere with pieces of both where Alan Lee is more of a, uh, it, it's all about the landscape. It's all mm-hmm. about the feeling. You're right. Uh, evo- yeah. And John Howe is all about the action taking Absolutely. place. Absolutely. M- much so more color. Do, yeah. yeah. Trying mm-hmm. to do both of, uh, of those, at least that's what I'm getting out of it.
2: Well, uh, those are wonderful names. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not so sure that I can associate, uh, my skill level with, uh, those two, but, um, they certainly are heroes and, uh, Alan Lee you know I mean I could go on a lot a long time about Alan Lee and I'll I'll spare you but uh, just seriously one of my heroes Uh, one of the finest designers I think ever to you know be on on the set of a movie and then uh, John Howe just does composition and action uh, better than most anybody who's ever really um, painted in the fantasy genre so yeah. Wonderful people. <laughs> let's
0: um, well let's shift gears a little bit. And let's talk about the uh, the book itself because you know, sure, this is a podcast about the silver sure. yeah. Um, but I'm sure we'll come back to the illustration of it because uh, we've got you in the studio, so we got to take advantage. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let's talk about how this book starts out. It's um, we we read Ainulindale, which. Ryan can totally pronounce. Uh,
2: <laughs> 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 it's close enough. <laughs> we read so the uh.
0: Ainulindale is the uh, the music of the Ainur, uh, Valaquenta, which is uh, oh no. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the uh, the account of the Valar. Exactly. And then Silmarillion, which is the the account of of the Silmarils. Now, we only read the first three chapters uh, in that one, so we haven't even seen the Silmarils yet, Mm -hmm. uh, but we will get there. Yeah. I think
2: the elves have even shown up, have they?
0: Yeah, well, that's chapter three, so we did get there. Oh, okay. The elves have shown up. Uh, They are making their way across Beleriand. They've been summoned by the Valar. But uh, before we get there, let's talk about that first chapter, the music of the Ainur. Um, you want to give us a quick rundown, Kip? What
2: is this chapter? What does it do for us? Uh, well, it's uh, Tolkien's great creation myth. And so uh, most people have uh, at least seen or heard of The Lord of the Rings, seen the movies, uh, fewer have read it, although millions upon millions have read it obviously they don 't understand that there 's a giant backstory a a, a backstory that 's many times greater than Lord of the Rings and it goes back to a creation He actually has a pantheon of gods and uh, a very evil god uh, there's, a, there's there's there 's one ruling god who 's overall the, which uh, Tolkien calls Iluvatar or Eru or Uh, And then there's some uh, lesser gods who are still, you know, of course, gods. And and they're just creating Middle Earth. They're creating Eaah. Uh, which is you know uh, one of Tolkien's many I'm laughing here because we will get into how many names Tolkien <laughs> does it's just really really unkind to the reader even though those of us who love it are just you know geek it out it about uh, yeah yeah cuz there's so many names <laughs> but uh really just the creation of uh of the the world uh, you know planet earth which he called the middle earth so
0: and it's uh the way that this creation myth unfolds uh you can compare it to all sorts of creation stories you know in Christianity or elsewhere um but it, it's it's unique in many ways, mm-hmm. and the number one coolest thing about it, um if I can use uh, my my <laughs> low vocabulary uh, would be the music aspect yes uh-huh. it's it's maybe my favorite thing about it mm-hmm. picturing creation through music and I found it really interesting because tolkien was he was a writer. First and foremost, um, you know, he fancied himself a poet. You can debate all day long whether he was any good at that. <laughs> exactly, uh, but he thought you know, he fancied himself a poet and a writer. He even dabbled in
2: illustrating.
0: Um, wasn't terribly good at that, but not not bad.
2: They, they certainly have a charm. They his do illustrations. have a charm. Uh-huh.
0: But anyway, he's he, at, at no point it, does he ever fancy himself a musician. Yeah. I, I suppose he valued music like most people do, but it wasn't a central part of his personal or academic life. So I thought it was really interesting that that's the vehicle that he chose for his creation myth. Yeah. was a bunch of gods sitting around singing, singing. a song and then
2: having a jam session. <laughs> made a world. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty yeah. Much, yeah. Uh, with one renegade. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but it's, uh, yeah, it's really beautiful. Uh was this something, Ryan? This is your first time, kind of yeah, surprised. I never
1: into read it. Lord of the Rings, of course. So, you know, yeah. I hadn't read Lord of the Sumerian. <laughs>
0: but uh, as you were reading this for the first time, was that something that, that struck you at all, or did you kind of glance over that and go, "Oh, uh, yeah, it's music, whatever"?
1: Now, actually, this is one of the few things in my terminology is the expanded universe <laughs> <laughs> I, totally I accept the expanded universe that I had already been familiar with from coming across other things as I had been playing you know Shadow of Mordor rather other things I was familiar with the creation story a little bit yeah, and that it was music that had started everything so when I actually decided to, to read it I was this like was, okay this was not new to you I, it's not new to me in the sense that it was music but it, what was new to me was how the music was made My original, the original piece that in my head was just that, you know, God's humming along and, oh, there's a planet type thing. (laughs) (laughs) Not that it was this combination of these different, um, uh, not powers, but these different gods, this combination of music that swirled together and forms this world. Um, To me, it was very, that's a very beautiful concept. And I'm a decent musician, not great by, you know, I'm not going to be selling CDs or anything, but I can sit down at a piano and play, and I like to play my own music, and I like to create my own music. And in those moments when I'm creating music, and I kind of feel like I'm just letting something come alive there, to me, reading this evoked that same feeling when I sit at a piano playing my own music, just kind of riffing on whatever. I got that feeling from what I was reading, and I was like, that makes sense to me in terms of creating something or letting something come into being through music. I I love the concept. Can I
2: ask you a question? So as a student of the creative process itself, uh, do you feel like as you uh, create this music that you're um, making something uh, audible that's already there? Yes. Okay.
1: So for me, for most of the creative stuff that I do, uh, most of the time I feel like I am giving a personification or I'm giving a body to – Something that is existing that's using me as a conduit to get there
2: for the most part so so the music of the of the gods was you know really quite digestible to you, yes, okay. absolutely.
0: and I think of it when I read it, I kind of think of it in in the opposite way um if if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may remember when we uh, we read Sphere by Michael Crichton, and the whole idea behind this book is these people have their innermost uh, desires manifested.
2: Did you ever read the book? Kim? No, I'm familiar with the story though. Okay. It became a movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, So they're, they're manifesting their, their subconscious mm-hmm. fears and desires. Fears and yeah. And uh, anyway, so it, it reminds me of that a little bit in, in that these gods are, they're singing, they're making music. They don't know why they're not told why. Iru uh, God, he just says, make music. And they're like, all right, sure. Um, and then it's only one They're when they're done, he says, now, look at what, look you've, at what you've done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that music and manifest it physically rather than... It, 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 so it feels backwards from what you guys were saying, but that's just how I've read it. Yeah, I can
1: see that. And, and I don't know that it's necessarily entirely backwards. If you want to take a, let's say for lack of a better term, a semi-religious approach to it there, they have created, their music together has created a... Form there a spiritual form mm-hmm. or something that exists that Eru is then going to give a physical right. presence to, which in the sense of what you know, kind of what I'm feeling with with the music that I write or you know when I'm when I'm writing, drawing, doing whatever, it's that 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 form already has existed and it's just coming. I'm finding it. In my mind and what I'm doing, I'm finding it and giving it a physical form, whether it be through writing music, drawing, right. mm-hmm. you know, okay, performance, whatever. Yeah. It's it's a pre-existing thing. It's not saying that it does, it's not uniquely mine by using by, – it's getting very hippie almost. <laughs> <laughs> by using me as a conduit to cut, to find a physical form, it has very much of my my flavor, my, t- my touch to it. But it's a concept that may have existed before. Made much easier by mushrooms. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) LSD, (laughs) little
2: huff, and then we go. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, you use the word semi religious. Uh, That's not a bad direction, I think, for us to go down. Um, This book gets compared to the Bible an awful lot. For Um, many different reasons, I can tell. (laughs) For many different Uh, reasons. Yeah, yeah. That's true. do you compare it to the Bible, Kip, in, uh, when, you're, when you're talking about it or thinking about it?
2: In, in ways, sure, uh, and and maybe a little bit different than a lot of people would look at it. Um, I I look at it in the, in the terms of Tolkien's history and his own uh, so dedication to the the Catholic Church. You know, he was clearly a uh, a lover of Catholicism and Christianity and the Bible and, and all that. And, and certainly there's some parallel things. I, I certainly, um, uh, you know, more vivid uh, description of creation <laughs> than the Bible gives, you know, because he, because right. he, he uses such, uh, you know, uh, astonishing imagery and all that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I, I would agree with what you said.
0: I think for me, it's, um, I, I end up comparing it to the Bible for two reasons, not, not, because it inspires actual religious fervor in right. me. But because... Mm. Eh. <laughs> I might argue that point. <laughs> there's, there's a little of,
2: uh, beyond the fervor, huh? Yeah,
0: well, take a look around you, right? This, this room's full of it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so. so a lot of times when I am telling people about the book, they say, you know, I've read Lord of the Rings. Should I read The Silmarillion? Or whatever the conversation is. Yeah. If I'm trying to explain what this book is, I'll say... Well, you know how we're living our lives, um, and for much of us in Western culture, the Bible is the backdrop. Those are the stories we refer to. That's mm-hmm. the history we look to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Israelites and the and the uh, Christians uh, in the New Testament, all that stuff. This is the same type of thing. So you, we're all very familiar with Frodo and Sam and Aragorn and their journeys, uh, but this is their Bible, for lack of a better word. These are the stories they yeah. look back on. Um, and then the uh, – well, what was the other point I was going to make? Oh, the other point is when you're reading, say, you're reading the Bible, you're not going to get a narrative, a strong narrative thread. You're reading – you know, it's the Book of Kings. Great. There's one story. Well, let's yeah. go to the Book of Ruth. There's another story. Right. And Absolutely. it's all in this same timeline, mm-hmm. and, and it, you need to know mm-hmm. everything in there to to grasp the whole picture, but mm-hmm. they are very separate stories. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. And this is, I think it feeds into something I want to bring up, which is preconceived notions with this book. And why do so many people fail to f- make it through as they pick it up for the first time? Uh, and I think, for the most part, it's because they think they know what they're getting into. They've, they've enjoyed The Lord of the Rings, and they want to read it again.
2: Yeah. They want another <laughs> Lord of the Rings, I and agree. they're not getting it. I agree. Um
0: and so this is – it's a little bit like reading the Bible in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how old were you when you first read the Silmarillion, Kip? Uh,
2: so, so it came out in 1977, so I was 15 and a big Tolkien fan. And so we, we got uh, the first edition uh, book, which I still have. I kiped off my brother's shelf. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> and uh, And it was completely over my head and uh, just, you know, I got to the story of Turin versus Glower and I'm like, well I'm glad he killed that dragon and that's Pretty who, much who all cares? I got out of that is that uh, he, he got rid of this really atrocious dragon. Uh, and then I read it again at 27 and, you know, during my graduate studies. And I said, yeah, you know, it's just okay. I just he was really exploring here, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then, as I said, I, I read it, uh, you know, when my father was passing away just as a, as a form of therapy, you know, forty. For I think, and then uh, it's just never been able to, uh, I've never been able to get it out of my mind that, that I want to, I want to uh, uh, jump forward a little bit because I'd love to promote it. I just want to say a couple of things that I, if people go into it as seeing it as, a, like you said, never thought about it like that, but it's really true and really makes it a little bit more accessible as a collection of related stories rather than one narrative. But what you get you know, if you're looking for Lord of the Rings, is four or five Lord of the yeah, Rings yeah, type stories. Uh, you know, there's Turin, there's uh, there's Baron, there's Numenor, there's the there's the gods, uh, there's uh, the story of the Sons of Feanor, and things like that. So, uh, many, many, many wonderful characters. So, I just want to jump ahead so that people understand. You know, if you can get into it, yeah, those stories are there. I mean, boy, are they there.
1: I'm I'm kind of curious both of you having been through it more so and further than I have been. Um, one thing about uh growing up in a religious aspect is, as a child and through doing different Sunday school opportunities they often would teach Bible stories or things um and they would just focus on one story at a time. Is it possible to take the Silmarillion and to pull the stories out and say we're just going to focus on the story, you know, this story right now? Oh, absolutely. And would that potentially be a better way of approaching it than necessarily trying to read it cover to cover the first, you know, maybe once you need to read it cover to cover yeah. once, but would it be better to approach it that way if it's new to you?
0: I I, I say yes. Um take for instance uh, my wife who is not a nerd she is uh, we do not share common interests i, I married the same time yeah. <laughs> but i've i've told her there are stories in here no you would hate the silmarillion silmarillion if you read it cover to cover yeah. but there are stories in here that you i think you would really enjoy for instance she is a big time feminist uh, she's she's very into that world she's scholarly about it she she gets that concept uh read the story of baron and luthien yeah and uh and you want to have some fun parsing out feminist themes baron and luthien and you you, obviously it helps to have read the whole backstory but you don't need it um if if you will if, if you'll allow yourself to kind of gloss over some of the the names and the places that aren't integral to that story you're fine again it's like you know the feminists go read the book of Ruth, right? You don't need to have read everything in the Bible up to that point to appreciate the story. Now there will be deeper things that you're not going to get. Right, uh, they, they will make
2: a lot of references to certain things. and You'll say, "Well, who was that?" But to me, that's a, a lot of the uh, immersive aspect of Tolkien is that he talks about these things, and you're like, "What's he talking about?" Well, that sounds pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So, but but yeah, you, you're you're going to have an unclear uh, uh, picture of the of the larger world. But hey, that's life. And, you know, I would say, they, yeah, that's
0: yeah. okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And it's a good way to say, you know, I really enjoyed that. Um, I'd like to get some more backstory. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what, this writing style, I'm out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there's I've, plenty who are like that. <laughs> yeah, and when I, when I first got into this, uh, you know, I was a teenager, and my passion knew no bounds. Um, <laughs> and, and I would tell people yeah you've got to read this and then if they didn't like it i'd be like well that's fine you just suck at reading and you're not a very good person so but now now it's much more i I think i've matured in my love of this book and i understand this is not for everybody um i think if you enjoy fantasy if you enjoy expanding your imagination uh this is a wonderful exercise and you should give it a shot but if you don't enjoy it i'm I'm not going to hold that against you and i don't think you should hold that against yourself uh but at least give it a shot uh, because I think, uh, me and Kip are, are probably in the minority of people who are just, they don't just enjoy it. You're really grabbed by it. Um, if, if I can stray a little bit to my, my origin story, I, I'd here. love to hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll try to tell it quick. It was uh, Valentine's day. Uh, I was 16 years old and, um, or 15 or whatever i was a teenager and uh, i had no girlfriend because you know i was that kid <laughs> and so my mom said uh, happy valentine's day let's go to the bookstore we're gonna get you something to read and uh, and i'd read the lord of the rings twice and was really getting into it i'd bought all the board games and the posters and everything and so i went straight to the tolkien section this was at, in the heyday of the movies And so the Tolkien section at, say, Barnes & Noble, where we went, was just massive. It was, you know, several shelves uh, brimming with Tolkien stuff. And I went to the shelf and I grabbed two different books and and I was trying to decide between them. One was The Silmarillion and one was called uh, The Book of Lost Tales. Lost Tales, yeah. And I had no idea what it was. Nobody had given me any backstory mm-hmm. on any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I picked the Silmarillion because it was purple. And the other one was black. <laughs> and I thought, you know, purple's my favorite <laughs> color. Yeah, I'm going with that one. And uh, that was a momentous decision because uh, what I had, the other book I was holding was Christopher Tolkien's notes on how the Silmarillion was written. <laughs> Mm. oh boy is that dry stuff it's tough it's um, (laughs) It's tough yeah yeah, it's is it interesting absolutely do you need to be a tolkien scholar to read it oh absolutely um i haven't even made it cover to cover through those 12 volumes but anyway so yeah i I picked up this purple book took it home had no backstory and it only took a couple paragraphs before i was grabbed by the beauty of it um and I read it all the way through it took me way longer than it normally would and I got to the very end of it um I think 2 months later I got to the end and I said I have no idea what I just, what just read <laughs> but I loved it and so I immediately went back to page 1 and did it again and uh that one went a little bit faster but now since I'd kind of digested a few of the names and stuff I was able to to Latch onto the actual stories being told, and uh, I was done for after that it's um probably i don't i don't know if I would say it's my favorite above the Lord of the Rings, but it's it was easily more life changing than the Lord of the Rings was yeah. yeah. Anyway, I have no idea
2: what we were talking about before. No, no, you just wanted to tell your your story, and and I I really love hearing things like that because I'm I'm always curious as to how people get into it because it's you know fairly dense. Yeah,
0: it's um, it, it is dense, uh, but what really grabbed me, like I said just a moment ago, was the beauty of it. Yeah, and that's that's something that Tolkien, as a Catholic, I think this is a very Catholic trait. Um, but as a Catholic, he appreciated beauty for the sake of beauty. Uh, here in America, this isn't as much of a thing. We're very Protestant. We're very austere. Uh, you know, it has to have a purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> things things need to. Yeah, exactly. They need to have a purpose. I was just um, in France. I'll never shut up about that, Ryan. <laughs> um, but we, my wife and I, went to uh, the Sacré Cœur Basilica in I've France. Been there. Love it. And and it was it was nice you know to look at these these beautiful things but then the nuns came out and there were about a dozen of them and they started singing hymns and prayers uh and of course it's echoing through the whole thing and and uh, it's all in french and a little bit in latin i didn't care what they were saying it was gorgeous you got loved lucky Loved it yeah i yeah, loved it and so there's and i feel like that's a, a part of catholicism that i didn't didn't appreciate before that event as much but the beauty the intrinsic beauty that's valued above above many other things so uh that's what really grabbed me with the silmarillion uh, anyway and now i yeah. appreciate i appreciate other things about it
2: but i still just think it's a beautiful piece of work well, you were a very insightful reader to tell you the truth, to be able to uh, see that there was there was beauty there that would, you didn't necessarily get the big picture, but you certainly understood the the beauty of his language, which in the Silmarillion is I think some of the most beautiful language ever committed to paper <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I'm a very, very smart person I'm, I'm extremely intelligent, very insightful.
1: Um, <laughs> I'd
0: rank myself in the top ten people who ever lived.
1: <laughs> you know what? I, I would. I would believe you would rank yourself in the top ten people. <laughs>
0: um. I don't. Know. I read a lot when I was a kid. I think I was kind of primed for it.
2: <laughs> I, I did too, but I gotta say, it was just over my head. Yeah. You know? I mean, I I I could you know absorb Dune, uh, <laughs> you know the Foundation yeah. trilogy by Asimov. I really read hard, but uh, all the Conan's, <laughs> not that those are hard to get into, obviously, but uh, it just it just was just escaped me. So good for you.
0: Well, so now you and i kip we've read it a few times ryan this is your first time through let's talk about some of the things that jumped out on this particular reading uh some you know of the points you want to bring up um uh, let's see i'm going to flip my coin kip you're
2: up uh just, just some of the things that showed up for me when uh when i was uh it was the conflict um between aru and what he wanted and uh melkor at the time you know, Melkor showing up uh, as much more powerful than I had, uh, remembered that he was definitely first and foremost. Later, lost some of that power, but, uh, then later on when he, they were creating, uh, the, the world, he, he basically had the mastery over the other eight. <laughs> and, uh, is, are, are there eight, seven, seven or eight? Uh, and until Tolkien shows up. And Tolkys says, uh, you know, I know you need some little, uh, some help in the little kingdom, <laughs> which was the creation of the earth, you know. And so that, that just showed up for me. And Tolkys, I mean, there's so many great characters, but Tolkys is, is really fun. <laughs> he's,
1: well, he's fun because he's always laughing
2: as he wrestles you down, throws as you in your he, face. As he beats you down.
1: <laughs> said, do, you guys, do you guys have a favorite Valar? Uh, mine
2: would be Ulmo. Ulmo. He's the uh, the god of the waters. Uh, very, very, very cool. Uh, I don't necessarily have a favorite, um, but uh, Yavanna because I, I really do love uh, plants. You know, the natural world, just yeah. uh, in, in and of their own sake. You know, it's, it's, I'm mm-hmm. a gardener, kind of in uh, my uh, other life. <laughs> yeah. So Yavanna, yeah. Yeah,
0: she's the goddess of things that grow. She's the creator mm-hmm. of the Ents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. uh what so I like Ulmo because uh, of the same reason that uh, Raphael is my favorite ninja turtle. He's kind of the rebel. He's um, uh-huh. he's definitely he's part of the group and there's no bones about that. He he is one of the powers and he uh, you know it's not like he's really rebellious, but he lives alone. He is you
2: know? alone. I and love he, that I love that sentence. He is alone. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And he um he's always kind of taken care of middle earth in a way that the other valar have not mm-hmm. and they they kind of leave it alone but uh, but never, he's never. always there he's always there for the elves and men never forsook them yeah yeah um so as i was reading this um speaking of yavanna she she is married to Aule, who uh-huh. is the um he's the creator of the dwarves he's the master of building things
2: smith god mm-hmm. what are you laughing at right i just
1: decided actually i know this point's going to come up again uh, but we really should have a uh, bingo card with names <laughs> <laughs> so people can follow along with this episode and try and get bingo from all the names of the valar that like <laughs> you know just there's just so many names for the same people well this one i'm
0: only giving you one uh his name was Ale, uh but he creates the dwarves uh, because he's impatient. So they they know that elves and men are going to awaken, but they don't know when and they don't know where. And they are not
2: of their creation. Right, this and these the, are,
0: mm-hmm. exactly, so and that's a good point. These are, are uh, the children of Ilúvatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, elves and men are his, and he is going to place them in this world that the Valar have created for him, or that he has created for them, mm-hmm. I guess you might say, uh, but that they have shaped uh, and they're very excited about this, um, about having very. other other beings in the world that they can interact with. Um, and so Aule gets impatient. Then he creates the seven fathers of the dwarves. Uh, and then God One gets, of which is Durin. One of which is Durin, <laughs> yeah. So if you've watched the Hobbit movies recently, you know that name. Um, it, but, oh, what was I just saying? Oh, yeah, anyway. So he creates these dwarves, and God gets pissed. Um, And he comes down. So there's a a little section. I'll read a little bit. Um, So the the voice of Iluvatar said to him, Why hast thou done this? Why dost thou attempt a thing which thou knowest is beyond thy power and thy authority? For thou hast from me as a gift thine own being only and no more. And therefore the creatures of thy hand and mind can live only by that being, moving when thou thinkest to move them. And if thy thought be elsewhere, standing idle. Is Is that thy desire? So God says, uh, okay, congrats. You've made these dwarves. Well, they're yours. They don't have a real life beyond you. Is that what you wanted? You, you know, you were trying to create what I reserved to myself. You're trying to do my job. Uh is that what you're really looking for? Anyway, as I was reading this, this stuck out to me as um whether conscious or or unconscious, I don't know. But Tolkien's commentary on subcreation and what he is doing with this whole mythological cycle—he is a bit like Aule in that he's creating this whole world. He is people. People criticize Tolkien for trying to usurp God's place as the creator of <laughs> worlds, you know. And and uh, there are a few you know religious folks who don't much appreciate him for that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, anyway, it goes on. Um, he he says, uh, Aule answered, I did not desire such lordship. I desired things other than I am to love and teach them so that they too might perceive the beauty of Ea, which thou hast caused to be. Um, and then the last section is, um, he says, in my impatience I have fallen into folly. Yet the making of things is in my heart from mine." From my own making by thee. And the child of little understanding that plays that makes a play of the deeds of his father may do so without thought of mockery, but because he is the son of his father. So we've we've got here the reality of, of Tolkien's subcreation. This this doesn't exist without him. It's his thought that drives the creation of Middle Earth and the Silmarillion and all this stuff. It doesn't exist without him. But the dream is. You know, I, I didn't desire such lordship. I desired things other than I am. I wanted to create, and then he gives us the reason why he dreams of such things. He says, "The making of things is in my heart. You gave it to me. <laughs> this is—it's your fault, <laughs> you know." <laughs> and so Tolkien says, uh, "This is this is intrinsically part of me. This is who I am. Mm. I am a maker, uh, a dreamer, an imaginer, um, and." Uh, And I think he's hoping someday he can do this for real, you know, and who knows he's dead now. So go, go make stuff. Right. So that, that really jumped out to me on this one is as a bit of, like I said, I don't know if this, this was a conscious thought or not, but a bit of. Autobiography or
2: you know yeah. self reflection. Yeah. What do you think? I, I agree. I, I I see Tolkien uh, in a lot of places in his writing. Uh, I've often felt like that there was a little Gandalf in Tolkien. There was more than a little Feanor in Tolkien, mm-hmm. where he had created this uh, marvelous thing, and and uh, you know it it sort of became uh, a monster to him. You know, there's just a lot of Tolkien, obviously in in a lot of these characters. But I I had never thought of got to like that. You know, it's just almost infinite depth, to tell you the truth.
0: Uh, Ryan, anything jump out to you that you want to chat about in this section?
1: Well, I, I just want to touch on that. The, the whole concept, I'm a huge proponent of the idea of creation being one of the greatest things that we as humans can do. Uh, creating, whether it be, uh, you know, stories, you know, we create other kids. people, kids, you know, that it's one of the greatest things that we can do. And yet, to create without mastery of the world uh, of what it requires to create is folly, and it is kind of scary. But we do it all the time anyway. Right. And so to hear to have that written out there is even even these god characters because the Valar are they're a, you know just a, a step beneath Eru, I guess. They're still folly in them, and that's that's kind of the point that I want to bring up here is that. It's interesting to have a creation story with a god who is not in entire perfect control of everything. Yeah. That's not always that. It's not really a
2: common thing. Now are you
1: talking about the Valar or Eru? Eru. Because
0: I would push back and say he is.
2: There, there is a passage in there that kind of indicates that. But as far as the the lower level, absolutely, the yeah. the, the Valar are constantly surprised by by events. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just I, There is such a, a concept of God that um, it, even in you know Christian religion or whatever, as an infallible whatever, an infallible, mm-hmm. all-knowing, all knowing, omnipotent, omniscient. Uh, being that to create a god character that has fo- that has some foibles, it has some issues there, or that can't always control everything, is a unique pro- Is a unique concept to me, and I do, and I appreciate it. Yeah, because it makes you, if you take the time to think about it and think about your own personal beliefs and whether there is a god or not, it makes you really think about that sort of. Um, his nature, his being, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and really think about what you what you believe.
2: That's a very good insight, I think. And, and what's more, even uh, more interesting to me is that there are, there are various orders of deity. You know, there's the demigods, the the the, the Maiar, and w- of which Sauron and Gandalf and Saruman and and various others are a part. And uh, and so so there's Eru, then there's the Valar, then there's the uh, the Maiar. And, uh, but among all those, there's a good and evil, Mm -hmm. you know, especially among the Maiar, there's some that are, and they become Balrogs, for example, some of the more evil. And uh, it's just astonishing that he was willing to, you know, see that even with this, this great power, that there was some that... You know, uh, they were of all different sort of characters. So mm-hmm. I I like what you're saying.
1: I mean, the whole concept of, and I know we're not very super far into this, but the I, I've read a little bit more about Melkor and the the role he's going we to We do have. not speak his name. <laughs> My bad. It's Morgoth. He's got another one. He, Melkor, Morgoth, <laughs> Voldemort, whatever you want to say. But... I'm I'm not one of those people who loves villains, but I love the people who stand out from the crowd, and it made me appreciate um, Melkor a little bit as the villain. And it's his story is a fairly common one um, in terms of wanting more than what you have and yeah. not being willing to accept that you're not going to get it. And so there, you're you say, "Fine, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight this," and rather than being the submissive, not really submissive. But rather than you know turning to Eru and admitting his folly or whatever, he, yeah. he's going to fight this. He's yeah. going to fight it, and he's going to end up getting kicked out. Right.
0: right? Yeah, I love that scene in the in uh, the music of the Ainur when uh, he goes more or Melkor at that point goes in search of the secret fire because he wants to be a creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he goes in search of it. Uh, and leads others astray, and then finally, Iluvatar says, "Sucker, it's in me. I am yeah. the secret fire. Uh-huh. You're an idiot if mm-hmm. you're out looking for it." You know. So you. Um, but a- another point that I wanted to bring up back in in the music, uh, based on some you said, Ryan, um, this this God who, as, as you say, maybe isn't in charge of everything at all times. Um, he he really plays a lot with agency. Tolkien does in this book. Very much. um. Um, And, and people make choices and there are consequences to those choices and God is going to let those play out. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, there's at a certain point when Morgoth has been trying desperately to make the music his instead of God's and he's bringing all these people into, into his jam session (laughs) and he's trying to convert everybody else. And at a certain point, uh, Iluvatar says, um, yeah, I mean, you are an idiot for having done this. You should not have done this. But you will see before the end that you could not do anything that hath not it, its uttermost source in me. Yeah, you, you can't do anything good or evil without having been created by me
1: and been given that agency. Uh, anyway, I really like yeah. that that There's, passage. There is a line, and I don't remember exactly where it is or what is. Um, but it does showcase, in my talk about, you know, a god that is not necessarily, you know, unfallible or infallible or whatever it is. That um, does show that he has an enormous amount of power. And he turns when he says, uh, when it says that he wove the dissonance into, into his own theme. Into his own theme <laughs> yeah. That even though he had been making music that was not fitting, he was going to find that Eru was going to find a way to make it fit. That is, that's beautiful as well, that even a dissonant sound can be made part of a bigger and beautiful whole. Yeah. And that's
0: what you're talking about is one of the reasons why I feel like the Silmarillion has done even more for my everyday life than the Lord of the Rings has. And here's what I mean. Um, We talked about when we wrapped up our Lord of the Rings series, how when you finish that book, you see the world differently. You see everyday objects and events in a different light, in a different way, um, and I feel like the Silmarillion, and especially even just this section, if all we got was Ainulindale, the music of the Ainur, I I would still get that because um, when the Earth is created, and uh, and Morgoth is trying to screw everything up, he takes he takes something like water. Now Ulmo is the god of water, um, and. And the uh, the Valar are very smitten with it. They think it's very beautiful. The sound of water or waves or whatever. And uh, and Melkor says, "Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to play with temperatures, and I'm going to evaporate your water. Gonna I'm going to freeze your water. Freeze it. <laughs> and um, and so he's trying desperately to screw these things up. But ultimately, what does he do? He creates rainfall from the clouds. You get snow. You get um, you, You you get uh, a lot of wind and tempests that he's creating, but it creates waves and the the music of the ocean. Um, And so that sort of concept where evil is ultimately turned to something that, that can be or is good, that's done more for me in my everyday life than anything I read in The Lord of the Rings.
2: Uh, you guys really have wonderful insights. It, it's great to talk to fellow fans who love it as much as I do because uh, I, I have one friend who loves it like this, and we <laughs> talk about this, and I, I learn a lot, but great insights, you know, just so much depth to this writing. It's great stuff. Um,
0: either of you have any other points you want to bring up before I go to mine?
2: Go ahead, Ryan. Um,
1: I have questions. I love them. Um so we have varying degrees of gods here. You have Iluvatar, Eru, at the top. You have the Valar and underneath them are going to be the Maiar. And do is there a, spe- a specific job allotted to each tier of god, I guess? Mm. Cuz I didn't catch that. Maybe I just missed it or or it's coming or something like that. I don't know if they're other than I mean they each have their realms, you know, water and right or whatever. right but I,
0: my understanding, imperfect though it may be, would be that the, that you have God watching over all, maybe not interfering too much unless he's specifically asked to, like later in the book. Um, and then you have the Valar, um, who, well, I know I should say this, uh, Eru, the one, he's the creator, he's the one that actually made this Earth be, um, and then the Valar who shape it using their different spe- specialties. Um, and then you have the maya, that third level, mm-hmm. who are their servants. And so, for instance, um, Ulmo, who is the god of water, has his um, servant, his main servant, which is Ose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is he is a maya, but he is kind of lord over shallow waters and waves. Um, the and co- the coastal the waters. coastal yeah, waters. Yeah, there man. you go. And so, uh, so Ulmo is kind of relegating some of the responsibility to
2: him and, and
0: you know ultimately he'll have to rebuke him a few times for doing something wrong and, and you're going
2: to like him because he creates storms he's just mm-hmm. a, a wild man at heart and and uh does all kinds of uh, mischief uh to the coastal regions mm-hmm. and so there's this great line you know among the you know 40,000 that Tolkien wrote that the elves uh love him but they do not trust him yeah
0: that's <laughs> a good one. um who's another one so well you have um Oh, who's the uh there's there there's
2: there's there's many 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 of these spirits that are of the of the mayar and uh there's um many of them do have specific duties that they that they have but many of them you know he hasn't uh, um spelled it out uh, yeah spelled out like uh A. is the uh, herald of the of the Valar, and he he goes out and he delivers their messages and things like that. And then there's uh, some others that um, do various little things um, a, as part of uh, their work
0: there. Yeah, every once in a while, you have mm-hmm. Olorin show up, who you yeah. know is Gandalf, mm-hmm. um, and and he was in his spirit form. He would wander among elves and men and give them little nuggets of wisdom, fair and visions. They they don't know where it came from. <laughs> These things would just pop into their head. And so it came to be known that Olorin was wandering among you, spreading wisdom.
2: Which, which is to me the great fun. I mean, you you read the Lord of the Rings, and if you want to know where something came from, there's a, there's an answer. Is mm-hmm. this just the the great glory of this We're <laughs> willing to say dwarves, huh? Dwarves. There's actually a creation myth regarding the dwarves. Yes, there is mm-hmm. <laughs> a very specific one that's very satisfying too, because it's just you know uh, riveting. You want to know where Gandalf comes from? Well, there's a very specific um, set of of origin uh, stories that are just mm-hmm. really quite wonderful.
0: And at the same time, a lot of it is left up to interpretation. This. And that brings us back to some of the frustrations people experience with this book, which is that uh, we're not focusing in on one narrative thread and we're not focusing in on any of these characters. It's all very broad, very overview. And what it does is it allows somebody like Kip... To come in yeah. and, and create mm-hmm. more art based on this, and yeah. and you're not held to right. a very very specific mm-hmm. yeah. vision. Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, you got it. It, it. It's an evocative world that that um, has uh, some specificities, which you know, as a Tolkien artist, you'd better honor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, that there's so many things that that are just you know part of that world that you hope to honor as well. Just the feel, you know, obviously, but but yeah, absolutely. But one of the things that makes Tolkien, to me, so interesting is that there's a lot there, as in, you know, it's vast. I don't know if there's any other world that's quite as vast, maybe uh, George Lucas's world, but he's had other people to help him with that. Uh, But there's also the unexplored vistas, you know, where you say... There's so much that both of them immerse you. It's almost like real history. You know, I I sometimes start to, you you know, get the two conflated. (laughs) But, but, you know, you you say, well, there was the Boer War. Well, there's some very specific things about the Boer, Boer War. But you don't get it all. And so you go back there and you say, well, what about that war and all that kind of thing? So that's what just really grabs you. And uh, for me, uh, it immerses you in that world is that you want to find out more. And sometimes there's, there's more. Many times there's more and sometimes there's not. So. Well, I've
1: found, like I said, I haven't read this, but most of the material that I've got that's from the similarly that I've found has come from moments just like that where I've been inside of another story, whether it be Lord of the Rings um, – my most recent thing is that I played it was playing Shadow of Mordor which comes based off of uh, a couple of stories that are uh, characters inside the Silmarillion or whatever. And as I as I discover these things I'm like, well, I don't I don't know that name or I don't know whatever. Mm-hmm. So I go and I look and there is there's a whole story inside there and I find out inside that story another three names that I need to look up. So I go find out more about that. Uh, the first time I tried to find out about the, you know, tried to find out more about the One Ring, I ended up reading about the one ring. I ended up reading about the three elven rings and what they each represent. And I'm just going, <laughs> this is so huge. How is it, you know, this is not something that if you hand it to someone without a name on it, that anyone would expect this is, there's no way this was written by one person. There's just exactly. too much there.
2: Yeah. It's astonishing. But,
1: yeah. and it's, it's, and the thing is, it's all well done. I, there, there's probably some conflicts somewhere, but I have yeah. not found them in the little that I've done.
2: Well, there was a very bright man who spent his life uh, trying to reconcile all the conflicts, you know, his son, Christopher Tolkien, but uh, to whom we have a, oh, a great debt. <laughs> uh, indeed.
0: Yeah, we wouldn't have the Silmarillion without him. Mm-hmm. Um, Kip, what was your next point? I've got one more that I want to do. Uh, now, but, uh, now it's with, uh, it's
2: with uh, the second chapter of alaquenta Do you mind or should we stick with? I no, remember. absolutely. Go ahead. So this, as a, as a as a psychologist, is one of my favorite um, aspects of the description of the gods. And they're talking about Este, which is um, one of the, um, the master masters of spirits, and she's the god of mourning. So uh, as the music unfolded, her song turned to, to lamentation long before its end, and the sound of mourning was woven into the themes of the world before it began. And this part is so beautiful to me, but she does not weep for herself, and those who hearken to her learn pity and endurance in hope <laughs> she yeah. so she doesn't she doesn 't weep for herself she 's just this uh, goddess of mourning and you think is there anything that Tolkien didn't understand intuitively? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's hard to come up I, with something <laughs> because I I've spent you know years and years and years uh, in my office with people who are suffering and, and just their the, the various ways that they respond to these crises and and uh, and you know difficulties in their lives and just to to see that. Uh, You know, Tolkien, he suffered beyond anything that I hope anybody else has to go through, which is the deaths of uh, several of his friends in uh, World War I. Not to mention uh, his mother and uh, his father. Yeah, grew up essentially an orphan. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, it's just one of my favorite passages that she does not mourn for herself. (laughs) Um, Let me bring up uh,
0: what I feel like is uh, Tolkien's distilled environmental viewpoint uh-huh. uh, which which i had a good time with yeah. uh, when and i read it on this one
2: this reading doesn't make any bones about it <laughs> well so
0: he uh this is in the the chapter of of aule and yavanna this is when the dwarves have been created anyway so they're married they, these two valar are married to each other he of course is the like we said the the god of of uh what did we say building things making things he's the god of earth and stone and Mm -hmm. minerals and all that stuff and she is the goddess of living things plants and animals Mm -hmm. and all that comes with that um let's see and she's she's kind of a little bit pissed because she finds out that uh, her stuff is is going to be cut down, killed, Damaged, hunted yeah. by, mm-hmm. by Aule's creation, which is the dwarves and the other children of Iluvatar. Um, and she says, uh, or, or, so she, she confronts him about that. And Aule answered, um, they will eat and they will build. And though the things of thy realm have worth in themselves and would have worth if no children were to come, yet Eru will give them dominion. And they shall use all that they find in Arda, though not by the purpose of Iru, without respect or without gratitude. This is a perfectly distilled vision of, of, I think, what Tolkien felt about the natural world. A lot of people, when they read The Lord of the Rings, they, they paint him as a completely... A Luddite. Uh, yeah, exactly. anti Anti-technology, yeah. anti-technology mm-hmm. anti-progress. Mm-hmm. We all need to live in the shire, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I think that's very wrong. He knew that the natural world was ultimately subject to to people. And he used a phone and drove a car. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and, uh, and we do need to live in this world. We are going to use the resources that we have. But the key line is uh, not without respect or without gratitude. Um Anyway, that that uh, I feel like is a good in a nutshell. And then at the very end of that chapter, um, so Yvanna she's still pissed, and she goes and creates the uh, the ants. She's like, "Haha, now I have a guardian of the trees, and uh, you, you better watch out. your children had better beware of mine. Uh, they they cut down trees at their peril. Um, and then his last line uh let's see i'll i'll read hers eru is bountiful she said now let thy children beware for there shall walk a power in the forests whose wrath they will arouse at their peril Never, uh, nonetheless they will have need of wood said Alley, And he went on with his Smith work. <laughs> and every
2: once in a while, there's there, I don't know if that was meant to be humorous, but I've always loved that line. It's, it's just tremendous. I mean, among the many things that is immortal <laughs> about this man's writing and his yeah. work and this book, you know, it just I, I, I get I get a kick out of that. I, I, every every page has you know two or three kicks for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's one of them.
0: But it's um, that one. Yeah. Speaking of the writing style, uh, it's it's um Creative Writing 101, you learn it in college uh, if you take a class like that. If you want to drive a point home, monosyllables. And Tolkien's a master at that. He has all these just insanely old English and Latin words that he's using to biblicize this. Mm -hmm. And then when he wants to make his final point, it's all very simple, very monosyllable. Nonetheless, they will have need of wood. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's it. You know, it's but,
2: great, but again, one of the things that's really fun about this for for Lord of the Rings fans is is if you know your thing happens to be ants, and there are many people for whom ants is the thing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You find fetishists. A... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they, if you want to, uh, the backstory of the ants, the the creation of the ants. Here you go. And, and you know, ants are fascinating because even they have forgotten where they came from, from in Lord of the Rings. They don't. No, they just are looking for the ant wives. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh I, I totally agree with you. And to me it's so interesting that Tolkien uh, assigns a value to so many different um activities in life. He he worships the smithing of the elves and the dwarves, you know the their the rings of mail and their swords and all that kind of thing, and and the creation of that. But he also reveres the plants and the animals, uh, and it just there's just no place he doesn't go.
1: <laughs> I think it's interesting if you do if you do follow along that path that train of thought that those kind of the elves and are the people who have really. The things that they create are beautiful, and yet they live in harmony with the world around them. They they really encompass mm-hmm. the idea that Craig was talking about earlier—that respect and gratitude. They they still use you know they they live in the trees and they build these, uh, you know, flats that they live on. And mm-hmm. then they flats, Ryan. Flats, mm-hmm. flats. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> flats. <laughs> he was English, <laughs> but uh, they do that and they do that, uh, and they're you know they are this higher form, the children of Valuvar. Uh, Immortal, yeah, yeah definitely uh, a higher form. But and then you look at the others, you know, the you know kind of as Sauron falls, as uh, or Saramon falls and turns to a little more, you know, that less respect and what it what it kind of turns to in the story. Uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's a point that it's reiterated multiple times through showcasing the different levels of acceptance of his idea of respect and gratitude for the world in which you live. If use, it, but in respect and gratitude,
0: I I would actually pick this. I know there are so many themes and so many choices you could make, but if you ask me what is the central theme of all of Tolkien's work, this is is where we start to touch on it. Do you remember, I think it was episode three or four of our Lord of the Rings series when we did Tom Bombadil, Mm -hmm. and it's so bizarre, and people have no idea what to do with this guy. Who shows up in the middle of this book and he's completely bizarre, and mm-hmm. then he just disappears and mm-hmm. you never hear from him yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, but Tolkien uses Tom Bombadil to deliver a similar point to what I think is uh, w- to what he's making here. Um, and if you remember, we talked about dominion or domination over mastery, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea that uh, that Sauron or, or Morgoth, in this case, in the Silmarillion, they're all about dominion. You, you know, this thing or this person or this earth is mine and I will do with it whatever I want. And you contrast that with how many times Tom Bombadil uses the word mastery. I'm, you know, I'm the master of weather. I'm the master of this hill or, you know, whatever, his home. Um, this idea that you live in harmony with something, it shows up, like you said, often. And, uh, and woe be unto the characters in Tolkien's tales that do not live in harmony who do not learn to master themselves and their relationships with the things and people around them?
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a great quote that uh, Melkor himself utters, which is, "This shall be my own kingdom, and I name it unto myself." <laughs> so yeah. he was instantly greedy over this beautiful earth that they had created, and the others uh, said, uh, "Not so fast." <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's a that's a good point.
0: Yeah. Um, we'd better get to wrapping this up. Um, okay. do, any final thoughts that we want to get to? Um, I've got one actually. One final thought, Ryan. Um, you you mentioned you were joking before we started recording. He said, "Yeah." I said, "Did you do the reading?" He said, "Yeah." Well, you know, I wasted some time reading what wasn't. The story.
1: I got caught up in the letter, in the letter (laughs) he wrote to his friend about this. If you if you pick
0: up a copy of the Silmarillion and and, uh, it's a second edition or later, which is what you will get at a bookstore these days, Uh, it starts with a letter that he wrote to. I'm trying to remember Milton Waldman, Um, but it is um, it is valuable. If you're going to read this Mm -hmm. story, if you want to understand what you're about to get yourself into. If you want to understand what Tolkien was doing, not just with this book, with, but with the entire cycle of, of stories that he was telling, uh, it's a great resource. Nice this is review. Mm-hmm. This is where he talks about uh, his his goal of creating a mythology for England, something that uh, that was kind of missing, um, yeah, and, and still is missing. Uh, but uh, he talks about creating a mythology that has the air of of England about it, and, and that uh, these people can appreciate as as uh, a possible, though fake, origin story for them. Um, so, yeah, if you are picking up the Silmarillion for the first time and you skipped over that, uh, go back and take a look. Uh, whether it's right now or, you know, go ahead and finish the book and then go back and read it, I don't care. But uh, but read it. It's very, very valuable as an insight into Tolkien.
1: There, and not only that, if you're a, a creative individual of any sort, whether it be art, writing, um, sculpting, whatever it is, he hits on a few points about creation and about kind of what art ends up being when it's done right. Um, And I think it's actually... Craig and I have had a discussion before um, about Tolkien and allegory. Um, I had someone tell me that Tolkien hated allegory. uh, But based on this reading, that's not necessarily true. But some of the points he brings up in that discussion were... Very enlightening, I should say, and I really recommend reading. Recommend reading this letter to get an idea as to maybe his mindset and as a creative individual, what you might want to be aiming for when you create something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Although he aims pretty high, don't aim to make the Silmarillion and to make the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. But be aware that kind of in the short of it is that things that are art tend to lead that that are done well tend to lead themselves to an allegorical feeling, and those that are trying for allegory um, tend not to make it tend not you tend to end up with nothing but a story yeah that's kind of what he says yeah so
0: that's why uh as much as people still like and respect narnia it's it's not as adored as fervently adore, adored as tolkien's world because c.s lewis i think was trying too specifically to make certain points yeah. and those points aren't valuable to everybody and so suddenly the story collapses for because for most if you yeah versus the lord of the rings which yeah. was made without necessarily a, a central uh, allegorical purpose in mind uh and so like i like i was saying earlier actually that, that was my central lesson from all of middle earth but for somebody else it's going to be something else and and that's exactly what was intended according to that letter. Anyway, uh, we are over an hour, my word. Uh, (laughs) Let's wrap it up, you guys. Um, Ryan, thanks for being a good sport. Uh, I made you do this because um, I was cashing in best friend points, um, and uh, I'm afraid I'm about out. Uh, so we'll see if we can make it through the Silmarillion with those. Or... I'm just stocking mine up for, for that big panda bear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a huge thanks to you, Kip. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Kip Rasmussen. So go to KipRasmussen.com and check out um, some of the art and writing that he's done. Um, and yeah, go order some prints, put them up on your wall. Cause uh, they're, they're quite good. Thank uh, you. Um, and uh, that's Kip, K-I-P Rasmussen. Uh, Thanks uh, to both of you and thanks to everybody out there listening, uh, especially you guys in Sweden. I don't know why I keep singling you out, but I love Um, and i love that you listen to us
1: one day we'll do a we'll do a legendarium tour of sweden and wait for our
0: fans to be at the airport (laughs) (laughs) we'll start crowdfunding that one it's a great
2: place to start
0: um all right you guys uh we will see you uh for the next section of the silmarillion check out our facebook page make sure you go to our website thelegendariumpodcast.com to keep up with what our next section will be uh, but just get started reading, and uh, and then you'll we'll catch up to you, I suppose. Anyway, signing out. Have a good week, you guys.